Uh, I have a question. Um, I'm curious to know what your earliest memory is. Like the very first thing that you can remember. Juliana, what is the first thing that you can remember? You saw Nick rocking or walking around at Christmas. Was is there something funny attached to that memory, or that's that's just what you remember? So you just have this memory of Nick opening presents at Christmas time. Oh, that's cute. I like that. That's a good earliest memory. Ariana, what's yours? Oh, volunteering here at Grace on a Sunday. That's an awesome earliest memory. Mercy. Oh, that's so cute. Little Addie coming home from the hospital. Addie, what's yours? Wow, that's a super epic earliest memory, a plane ride. Oh, I see. That, see, that's why it's cemented up here, because the person next to you throwing up, that's so gross. So, Matt, you have a good one, Maddie? What is it? Oh, how young were you, do you think? Like three, and you're in the hospital with pneumonia. That's your first memory. Nick, what's yours? Oh, getting a toy for your grandpa. I like it. Coven, what's your earliest memory? What is, oh, like the aquarium? Oh, that's a cool earliest memory, too. Izzy, what's yours? Huh, like coming home, new apartment, opening the door, sitting down. Nice. Nice. Um, would you would you would you be all right if I transition away from asking you yours and I tell you mine? Is that okay? Okay. Solve, what's yours? Running away from your parents on the beach. Nice. That's sounds about right. Sounds about right. All right. I'm going to share my earliest memory. Um, my earliest memory is hurting somebody. I was in preschool, and I, I pushed another kid down on the playground, and he started bleeding. I remember him looking up at me from the ground with pain in his eyes. I remember other kids looking at me with horror as if I was some kind of monster. And I remember, I remember running running as far away as I could to the other end of the playground where I could hide underneath a big pine tree. I remember feeling like I was every bit the monster that these other kids were seeing me as. I remember thinking, I am going to be in so much trouble 
I couldn't believe that I had done what I did. So now I, I start with a story from well over 20 years ago, because even after all of this time, what I felt, what I thought in that very moment, it still seems like vivid and, and real. It stuck with me. If I were to name what I felt in that moment, if I were to name why I can still feel those feelings, I would call it shame. We're in a series called Freedom From, and tonight's message is called Freedom From Shame. Shame is a powerful emotion, you guys. It can become an identity marker for us, and it stems, it stems from sin. And so I wonder, I wonder if somebody in here still thinks about something that you did wrong, some sin that you committed, and it still spins around in your head like stuff that I've done does. Maybe it was a really long time ago, but maybe it was like just last week, and it's still eating you up. You're still thinking about it. Maybe for somebody in here, it wasn't something that you did, but it was something that was done to you, some way that you were treated or spoken to, someone sinning against you, and that has stuck with you and changed how you think and feel about yourself. So if you came into this place feeling stuck in shame. And I believe that tonight's message is for you specifically. If you remember one thing that I say tonight, I would like it to be this. The good news of Jesus offers freedom from the weight of shame. The good news of Jesus offers us freedom from the weight of shame. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 4 in God's Word. I want to back it up one chapter tonight. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and start turning to Genesis chapter 3. It's real easy. It'll be probably page 3 of your Bible. So Genesis chapter 3, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and click on over. And so before we start reading, what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3, is that the very first humans that God created on planet Earth, Adam and Eve, they have committed the very first sin against God. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he has created. It's rebelling against him, living without any kind of reference to him. It's not being, it's not doing what he requires. And it results 
in our death. And it results in the disintegration of all creation. That is what sin is. And so in this text, we're going to see how Adam and Eve chose to deal with their sin. Honestly, it reminds me with, of exactly how I dealt with mine on the playground when I was in preschool. Because sin is, is deadly serious. It, it carries consequences with it. And what we do with that sin determines, I think it determines whether or not we end up trapped under the weight of shame. So tonight we're talking about sin, we're talking about shame, and hopefully how to live free. Does that sound good? Genesis chapter 3, go ahead and turn there in your Bible. If you're not there already, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. So this is immediately after Adam and Eve have sinned. Here's what my Bible says. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. So we're looking at sin, shame, and how to live free tonight. My first point, the first point, you could just write down the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's definitely not unique to me, but I've heard people say that the heart of the issue is that the heart is always the issue, right? The heart of the issue is that the heart is always the the issue, and, and that seems to line up, I think, really well with what the Bible says about our hearts. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 17. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? When Satan appears to Adam and Eve in the garden, he tempts them to disobey God. And in that moment, the human heart becomes a battleground, right? This is the ground being fought over our hearts. You see, seeds of doubt start to get sown. Like, is God really good? Questions start getting asked, like, is God holding out on me? Does he really know what's best for me? And the result is rebellion. Adam and Eve, they're convinced in their heart that they can be God better than God can be God. So ultimately, every single sin is a heart issue. 
We've rejected God, ignored God, rebelled against God. We have not done what he's told us to do, and we have done what he's told us not to do, right? Every single one of us in here. Me, you, Grace, Ryan, all of us. And the way that we react and respond when we sin, it shows us our heart condition. Our instinct, your instinct, I think is to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. First, they tried to cover it up. Like they literally made clothes out of leaves to cover up the fact that they disobeyed God's instruction. We cover stuff up all the time, don't we? And then, and then they try this like run and hide response. It was exactly the first thing I did when I hurt somebody when I was in preschool. I tried to run and hide. Adam and Eve, they tried to put distance in between them and like the scene of the crime. As if somehow space between them and the problem was going to like fix it. Then the blame game started, right? They start pointing fingers. Adam's like, it's not my fault, it's Eve's fault. Like, like, like she gave me the fruit. Eve's like, oh, it's not my fault. Satan deceived me. It's his fault. Think about all the times that you've sinned. Big sins, little sins. They're all the same in God's eyes. But think about how you respond. My guess, my guess is that you have a natural tendency to go one of those three routes. You either try to cover it up, you try to run and hide, or you start passing the blame. It's a heart issue. And the consequences for sin, like I said, are very severe. Literally death. Right? The consequences for sin is our death and the disintegration of God's creation. It's a major problem that requires a very dramatic solution. So let me quickly just remind you what the solution to sin is. We call it the gospel or like the good news. It's the fact that Jesus, God himself, became a human being just like you and me. And he stepped out of heaven so that he could live a life here on planet earth. That was perfect. He met God's standard in every single way, never once in the way that he thought, in the way that he acted, in the things that he said. Did he ever rebel against God? And instead of you or me dying for our sin like it should have been, Jesus took our sin upon himself. The one who had no sin took all of our sin and nailed it to a cross. But he didn't just die, he rose again to defeat sin and death forever. And now, now he reigns as king of the universe. And if you align yourself with the king of the universe and you give him your full allegiance, then sin no longer has the final say in your life. And you can live free free from the chains of your sin, 
And you can live in a restored relationship with the God who made you and loves you so much. That is the thing that you need more than anything because it is the solution to our sin. It's the only solution to our sin. So if you have like never trusted in Jesus before, maybe you have heard me share the gospel like that like a zillion times here on a Wednesday night, but you've been kind of putting it off not really making a decision, sort of just staying on the fence about what you really think about Jesus and if you're really going to trust Jesus, then I would say, like, I think tonight's the night. I think tonight's the night to stop sitting on the fence and jump all the way in. You can be free. And I would argue, because it's what the Bible says, that you cannot be free from the shame that you feel until you trust in Jesus. He is the only answer for our sin. So, Adam and Eve, they sin. Our hearts are now the issue. And that means when you and I were born, we're born into sin. Without even doing anything, we're born with a sinful nature. But Jesus frees us from our sin when we give him our full allegiance. So why don't we turn the conversation to like, what do we do now? Because I think a lot of you in this room have trusted in Jesus and that you're still struggling with sin. So if you've ever asked the question like, like what am I supposed to do now? What do I do with my sin now that I've already trusted in Jesus? What do I do when I feel trapped under this weight of shame? Hopefully the second point will help answer that question. So, note takers, my second point tonight is that guilt is good, shame is slavery. Guilt is good, shame is slavery. If you trust Jesus, you are free from the eternal consequences of your sin. Death is no longer the thing. However, even if you are free from the eternal consequences of sin, sin still has consequences. And you know that, right? Obviously. Like, let's say I get really angry. We know that anger can be a sin. James chapter 1 tells us, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Okay. That means when I get really angry, that can be sin. Let's say in my anger... I run up to Ryan, and I punch him in the face. I know. I know. Like, even though, even though I'd, I'd for sure have to, like, cold cock him and, like, get him when he wasn't looking, because if, uh, if I came up to Ryan and he was looking, he's a black belt, he'd, he'd destroy me. But let's say, let's say I cheap shot Ryan, and I punch him in the face. I'm saved. I know Jesus. There's no consequences for my sin. Eternally speaking, sure. However, Ryan's going to bear the consequences of my sin. He's probably going to have like a black eye or a bloody nose. And, and I'll probably have some consequences to bear because Ryan will press charges for assault and I'll go to jail. Right? Like there's consequences for sin. But there's another consequence for sin that I actually hope that you experience and that you feel 
every time that you sin, that consequence is guilt. Guilt is the feeling of knowing that you did something wrong. If something is like not right in your body, you feel pain. When something is not right in your soul, you feel guilt. Guilt is good because you're not ignoring, you're not minimizing any of the wrong, the sin that you have done, right? Guilt is good. Sometimes in church, you might hear the word conviction in place of guilt. Like the Holy Spirit who lives in you as a follower of Jesus convicts you of your sin, like reminds you that what you did offended God and offended people, and that's, that's the guilt that you feel. And so guilt, conviction, it's a good thing. It's a God thing. You were meant to feel it so that you can make it right. But that is different than shame. Guilt and shame are not synonyms. If guilt says, what I did was bad, shame says, I'm bad. If guilt thinks, what I did was unloving and I need to make it right, shame thinks, I am unlovable and there's no hope for me. Do you hear the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is good. You were meant to feel it. Shame is slavery because it's allowing your sin to become your identity. You're living out a lie about who you are instead of trusting the God who has declared you free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 I think is a perfect verse as a theme for this whole series. Look at what it says. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery. You see, in Jesus, God calls you friend. Shame calls you unlovable. In Jesus, God calls you righteous. Shame calls you worthless. In Jesus, God calls you child. Shame calls you a monster. In Jesus, God calls you beloved. Shame calls you a lost cause. Can you see how sitting in shame, letting that dominate you, becomes slavery? You need freedom. So here is a, a pathway. If you came in here tonight feeling stuck in shame, okay? A pathway forward, a pathway out, a pathway to living in freedom. And it's found just a few verses later in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. It'll be up on the screen. Here's what it says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the pathway is two parts. Part one, we crucify the flesh. And part two, we keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. When, when it says your flesh, like it's meaning like your sinful desires, your sinful passions, like the sin that you were born with because 
Adam and Eve sinned so long ago. It's also the sin that you've committed because we know that your heart is the issue. And so instead of like coddling or babying our flesh, we kill it. We crucify it. And in order to do that, you've got to starve it out, not feed it, right? The temptation is, I'm going to feed my sinful impulses. I'm going to, I'm going to feed what my flesh wants. No, we're going to starve it. We're going to kill it. It's very similar to the R of CPR from last week, if you were here, right? Remove access was R. Very similar concept. Crucify the flesh. Kill, starve those desires that you know are sin. The second part of the pathway is going to help you do just that. Okay, verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say try harder, do better. Trying harder, trying just to do better, that's using your willpower to try and overcome sin, and your willpower is not strong enough to overcome the power of sin. What you need is Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit power comes from from being open to God's presence. Like every single day in your life, being open to God, being present with you. And one of the ways that you can do this is what a lot of people have called spiritual disciplines. They're called spiritual disciplines. Discipline because they actually take some work on your part, but the work that you're doing is opening you up to what God wants to do in you. So if you want Holy Spirit power to break you out of slavery to shame, here's a couple examples of some spiritual disciplines that you can start doing right now to help you walk out of Trapped, being trapped in shame. So, first one, be quick to confess your sin. Confession is a powerful spiritual discipline. In small group this past Sunday, the seventh grade guys, like we, we sat in a circle. We put a chair in, our, in the middle of our, of our small group circle. And one at a time, guys got up, sat in that chair. They confessed their sin. And then we gathered around them, we laid hands on them, and we prayed for them. It was, it was powerful. Confession doesn't need to be a scary thing. It's a necessary thing. I mean, remember what we learned last week in the CPR acronym, right? James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And produces wonderful results. So the spiritual discipline of confession. Being quick to confess your sin to God and to your community. Is a way that you can start to take steps out of shame. Here's another one. Worship. Worship is a spiritual discipline. It takes work on your part to open yourself up to the presence of God. What if. What if you worshipped first thing. Every morning, instead of looking at your phone, instead of dwelling on all the ways that you've fallen short, 
instead of looking in the mirror and wishing you saw something different? What if instead you hit your knees, you prayed to God, you worshiped him for who he is, what he has done, and what he will do in you? I think it would completely change your mindset. And I think it would begin to move the needle on shame in your life. So being quick to confess, that's a spiritual discipline you can practice. Worship, that's a spiritual discipline you can practice. Here's a third option, serving. Serving is a discipline that gets the focus off of you. In our world, we're so self-obsessed, are we not? We care so much about us and what's happening to us and what we need. Serving gets the focus off us, helps us stop thinking about what we need, and puts the focus on how can I love someone? What does someone else need? How can I be Jesus to this person today? So a spiritual discipline that you can do, like find a way tomorrow to serve someone selflessly. And see how that can begin to show you a better way. A better way than feeling trapped in shame. So remember, the heart is always the issue. We have this sin problem. And the only way to deal with it is to believe the gospel. To give your full allegiance to King Jesus. And remember, guilt is good. Shame is slavery. God wants you to experience guilt. He wants you to recognize that when you sin, you have done something wrong. However, he does not want you to live in shame. The gospel brings us freedom from shame as we crucify the flesh and as we keep in step with the spirit, walking out those spiritual disciplines. Remember my big idea. The good news of Jesus offers freedom from the weight of shame. So maybe one last way that we can think about shame tonight. You know, I've got this suitcase, and it's uh, it's really heavy. I mean, I'm sure you can carry it. It's just heavy. You can carry it for a little bit, and it's heavy. And the longer that you carry it, it's going to stay really heavy. I guess I've seen some of y'all school backpacks. You got lots of books, lots of folders. Like, I mean, it's heavy walking away, you know, walking around with all of this, right? I want you, I want you to think of this bag as the baggage that you're carrying. And I don't know what that is for you. I think we've all got different baggage that we bring into a room like this. Things from our past that we have done, things that we have said, ways in which we have hurt people. And we all come in here carrying things that have been done to us, things that have been said about us. That baggage, it's heavy. It's heavy. The invitation that Jesus has for you, he wants to take this away from you. He wants you to give it to him so that you don't have to carry it anymore. 
when Jesus died for your sin on the cross and when he rose to new life, he said that, that baggage, that's not yours anymore. But shame, what shame does is, is convinces us that somehow what Jesus did wasn't good enough for me. And I have to, even though he wants to take it, I've got to keep it. And I got to keep holding it. And I got to keep muscling my way through my life with this massive baggage on my back. So tonight, tonight if you want freedom, if you want freedom from your shame, Jesus is offering you, he's offering you the option to set that bag down, to give it to him, and to walk away from it. You don't have to take it up anymore.